Let's talk about self-love for a moment. And so if you are severed from that within yourself, you're then severed from caring about your fellow humans. For fuck's sake, a theater podcast, a.k.a. 4FS Podcast, hosted by Aaron Salazar. Episode 13, A Muppet Heart. All right, here we go. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is episode 13. We had a little break off to usher in the fall to let everyone sort of like sit and marinate in the vinegar water that is the current political climate. Hi, I'm Aaron Salazar, an award-winning New York City theater producer and director. If you want to find out more about that, go to 4fspodcast.com. I have to tell you, though, I'm so excited. It is October. It's all happening in life, let alone on this show. I'm so fucking thrilled that we have Rona Siddiqui is joining us. This fucking, I can't. Okay, so let's get it. Let's just, let's just break down this bio. All right, so Rona is the recipient of the Jonathan Larson Grant. Let that marinate. The Billy Burke Ziegfeld Award. Uh, she was named one of Broadway Women's Fund's Women to Watch and is currently an MTF maker. Uh, her show, uh, Salam Medina, Tales of the... Afghan, an autobiographical comedy about growing up by ethnic in America, has had a reading at Playwrights Horizons, directed by Raja Feather Kelly. And her other musicals are One Good Day, The Tin, and The Treasure in NYC. She is the recipient of the ASCAP Foundation Harold Adamson Lyric Award. Go back. Harold Adamson Lyric Award the Mary Rogers Lorenz Hart Award. You might have heard of those people. And the ASCAP Foundation Max Dreyfus Scholarship. She hasn't done anything. I mean, it's obvious, right? I mean, hello. She just started. All right. She's written pieces for Wicked's 16th anniversary uh, commemoration, Flying Free. She's written for 24-hour musicals, Prospect Theater Company, The Civilians, The New York Men's Gay Chorus, and 52nd Street Project. And she's performed her concerts at the John F. Kennedy Center of the Performing Arts. It's a, it's a, it's a, one of a reasonably little, sized house. It's a little club. A little club. It's a little club. It's a, yeah. As we get a little clubs and also Feinstein's 54 below. Um, I had to say it like that. And uh, she has created original scores uh, for the Vagina Monologues, Middletown, and the Good Person of Szechuan. Uh, Rona also uh, was the music director for this off-Broadway show called A Strange Loop. Uh, where she received an OB along with the cast and creative team. And they won this little prize. It's the Pulitzer Prize? Yes, the Pulitzer Prize that they performed over there at Playwrights Horizons. Uh, she was also the musical director for Bella and American Tale at Playwrights and Who's Your Bag Daddy or How I Started the Iraq War at St. Luke's Theater. And she has orchestrated for Broadway Records, Broadway Backwards, NAMT, and Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera, and we're not even that's scratching the surface. I'm exhausted. That's just oh scratching. God. I mean, you know, it's like exhausting, like hustling the shit up, you know, all this. And she's 18. It's amazing, <laughs> amazing how this works. I just yeah. turned 21. I'm Aaron Salazar, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Let's give it up for Rona Siddiqui here. Uh, thank you. Thank you, oh Aaron. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy that you're here. Okay, now I can actually face you and not look at your bio. Uh, <laughs> 
we're on camera. I can't camera. believe you read that whole thing. Well, we had to do it. I mean, that's the thing. These, we have to, it is our job to teach the children. Okay. We have to teach the children. So how are you on this fall day? You know, I'm grateful for many things. Grateful for, for my apartment, for this beautiful day, for food on my table, and uh, to be here with you. I'm obsessed with that already. See, you gotta, you gotta, we got to start with some gratitude, everyone. Yeah. I agree. You know, the, the one thing I got to say that's been keeping me sane during this whole chapter in our lives is every day I wake up and I'm like, thank you so much that I'm healthy and that my friends are healthy. Yeah. And it's something we got to keep in perspective right now. Not that I'm trying to tell everyone what to feel, but you know, if, if we're all lucky enough to be healthy, then let's start there. Okay, so... We've got a lot of talk about. There's uh, some things happening in the world right now. But I can't think that, of anything, but I can't it's... think of anything really particularly important or anything nah. happening in about a month. No, uh, but you know, we'll we'll get to that before we go into all of that shit showing. Um, <laughs> we are going to do what we always do when we have the first episode of Rona Siddiqui here as our October guest host guest co-host as our October guest co-host. We are going to do the elevator pitch. If this is your first time tuning in and you're wondering, first of all, who the fuck is this Aaron guy? Let me tell you what the elevator pitch is. So the elevator pitch, kind of like not exactly 32 bars, you take two and a half minutes-ish to tell us a little bit about yourself of whatever feels like it's currently right at the forefront of your spirit. So um, how does that sound? That sounds great. I did not plan this, so we'll That's see exactly just what, what we comes want. out. Yeah. We want we want no planning. This yeah. is not this is a, this is the anti-pre-copy show. All yeah. right. I'm also weird about talking about myself. So let's just see what comes out. It's odd. It's yeah. I've I've had to get over it. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I are behind the table. Right. So it, it, there is something about that to be extroverted in a Anyway, we'll unpack that later. Okay, let's, let's, for Christ's sake. All right, let's get to the elevator pitch. All right, everyone, ladies and gentlemen, this is Rona Siddiqui's elevator pitch. Okay, I was born in upstate New York, but raised in Southern California, uh, beautiful, su sunny Southern California. My mom is from Long Island. My dad is from Afghanistan, thus born the phrase Afghan. Um, I uh, moved, I went to UCLA for undergrad uh, for started as a piano performance major, uh, crashed and burned, switched to composition, um, but never felt like, uh, why should anyone care about what I have to say? So kind of put that on the back burner, moved to the Bay Area for many years as a music director and piano teacher, uh, applied finally to NYU's graduate musical theater writing program, and um, got the confidence to finally share my voice and my story and realize that I'm a storyteller at heart, moved to New York, went through the program, uh, and I've been working in New York as a writer and music director ever since. Yes. Whew. Excellent. Oh my God, my heart. Well, I mean, hey. <laughs> and you know, it's interesting. I first, I saw Rona uh, literally in costume at the adorable Apple Boys. Oh yeah. I fucking loved that show. I loved that show so much. I loved doing it every single night. I had it's, lines in that. Speaking of you being had not lines, being comfortable, you, you I had lines. Sang. Yeah. No, yeah. did I sing? Didn't I you? I just talked. I was the bartender. I was Alexander the bartender. You were the bartender. Yeah. Okay, there it is. <laughs> so if you're not, if you don't understand what she was literally music directing, music directing, correct? At that show, I actually was just playing, which was, was delightful. Oh, which is delightful. Okay, yeah. fine. So she was playing with still no small feet and in costume and then played a character. It was off the fucking hook. That show was that hilarious. Show's so good. Yeah, hopefully we'll be back. Hopefully we'll be back. 
Fingers crossed from your yeah. lips to God's ears. All right, everyone. So let, 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 let's 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 chat about about what's happening in the world. I know it's already exhausting, but I mean, the one thing we can't seem to not talk about is the latest news. As of we're recording this on a Sunday. Normally, we record a little later in the week, but we're going to do it on this Sunday. So we'll see by the time it gets to you on Saturday how this comes across. But as of a few days ago, um, forty-five the person who dare we dare not speak his name had test results that came across as positive so did the f l o t u s is that as it flotus 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 also chris christie just a whole bunch of uh hosives who were sort of not paying any attention and kind of mocking people a little bit about masks. Maybe actually, you know, maybe that's hyperbole. Maybe they weren't mocking people. But I would actually dare to say that one's actions are louder than words. So in a sense, I feel that what happened there uh, with the great gathering of everyone on the lawn, the gatherings afterwards, now that there's like photographs on like New York Times, in a sense, that is really behaving badly and sort of wagging it in people's face that you don't believe this is real. So here we are. It's all happening. I have to tell you, okay, I'm curious about your your opinion about this. Yeah. I, maybe this is like my Catholic Mexican upbringing, but I don't ever want to actively wish bad on someone mm-hmm. and like hope something bad happens to them because I, I think that that shit kind of comes around full circle. Yeah. So, and to be honest with you, we talked about this off mic. I think that the alternative if something really bad happened is even worse yes but i have to say like there definitely was that part of me that was like well i mean what did you think was going to happen right what did you think was was going to happen because we know that you know it is true you know that you do understand the science because we heard it come out of your mouth yes so what is the is it arrogance is it uh like because you're you've been protected from every other bad thing that that can happen to people because of your perceived wealth, and I say perceived. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that why you thought you were somehow uh, like had a magical force field around you that would protect you from this uh, virus? I don't. I'm confused. What do you think about that? I mean, I almost wonder if, in a way, it really kind of all goes back to racism. Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> say it. Mm. You know, it's like statistically, we know that it is black and brown people getting the most affected by this, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why certain people in the country feel like it isn't going to affect them because the people they already have strong feelings about that they everyone's come out of the closet about, right? Uh, they're like, well, that's not me. That's almost a non-white person issue, right? Even though clearly white people have died as well, obviously, which is, it's all terrible. But I think there's, I have to say, I think there's a little bit of that. Because if you look at the pictures, did you see very many people of color in any of those situations? I didn't. So I think there's a little bit of that privilege. Yeah. The perception of I'm untouchable the perception of I'm not in contact with any of these people. Yeah. How could I possibly, you know what I mean? Mm, and I'm mm-hmm. sure that everyone who's on, you know, who I really feel bad for is the staff of the white house. Right. Those are people just working a gig. Right. You know, like it's a literally a government job. I'm sure it's a union gig. I'm sure they're of all kinds of myth, mixed ethnicities. Right. And I'm sure they're being tested to me. It, this is 
a byproduct of privilege and a complete and total lack of critical thinking and what happens when the hubris of you thinking as you placate to your supporters Mm -hmm. that nothing could happen to you. Because the one thing that's been clear to us is that these motherfuckers don't want to listen to science. You're buying the very BS that you are selling. 100%. Yeah. Which, you know, we're being led by a narcissist. Led is a generous word. Mm. And so here we are. Then, you know, for what it's worth, there's almost a part of me that wonders, is it real? But I mean, I think it has to be real because I don't think they really want to disrupt less than a month out the campaign. I don't think so either. And I think it's just, it's it's such a national security risk as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and which which also is making me question, Aaron, what kind of information are we getting from the doctors and the staff right now that... Uh, because we know that throughout history, when presidents um, get sick or undergo treatment or whatever, a lot of times it is kept secret mm-hmm. as a national security, uh, you know, as, as protocol. So at, right now, we really don't know if what we're being told is, uh, is, is true or not. Well, because there's all these little hints coming through, right? Where they're like, oh, he just got some steroids. Oh, he's fine. Actually, it's not okay. Blah, 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 blah. Right. So. I mean, listen, I, I, I want this man to live so we too. can have a fair election. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's already so much shitstorm chaos. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to see how many more people are going to be tested positive. I know. I know. It's a mess. I am worried about Chris Christie. I mean, these people, you know, not that anyone else is, but... Uh, I mean, how healthy is everyone? Yeah. What's been interesting with this situation is that the most recent polls that just came out that were that that the results came out today is that the polls actually moved forward in favor of Biden. Right. And I wonder if this might be enough to make moderate Republicans like really push. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do Do you think that? There will be Republicans who are talking shit to their friends to save face, but mm-hmm. actually might vote differently behind closed doors. I, I hope that is the case. Uh, I know a lot of these people um, are voting based on perceived strength. And so if now Biden is perceived as the stronger one, the one mm. who can survive the virus then maybe that sways them if it's, I don't, I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that anyone with two eyes and any sense of critical thinking, which is something you and I kind of talked about earlier, m- might realize that this is a shitstorm. Mm-hmm. Like it has to. And actually, I don't think that any educated, well, I mean, that's not the right word. I think anyone would see that the VP is also wildly underqualified. Yeah. You know, to take over the position. And, you know, in a lot of ways, Biden, for for what it's worth, is very conservative. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. But I mean, it's going back to like the whole thing about it really is steeped, though, right now in his major supporters in either active racism or being comfortable with racism. 
So I don't think that actually to the cult of the following, any mm-hmm. of this matters. So you think people will just still vote for down the, down the Republican line? I mean, I think that the major, major culty ones who have been okay with everything happening so far, because that's something I've talked a lot about, is the, the cult mentality of this whole uh, that past four years. Right. Uh, the MAGAs. Um, I don't think it matters to them. Yeah. I really don't. I think that they're closed, you know, they've got the blinders on, and that is where they are. It, right. it doesn't matter, which actually leads me to something you brought up um, earlier when we were talking before we got on the mic, kids, even though we were on the mic. That, that doesn't matter. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking about your th- notion that there has to be a lack of self love. Right. For people to be behaving in a way that is against their better interest. I'm curious to, for you to unpack that if you feel. Yeah. I feel like let's talk about self love for a moment. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's, like, yeah. What even? Cue what the music. Is let's yeah. do it. No, but Cue the music. What that is to me is a, a connection to your your deepest self, which is a recognition of your connection to others. Yes. Uh, how we are all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so if you are severed from that within yourself, you're then severed from caring about your fellow humans. Yes. You're somehow replacing that with lies, toxicity, I don't know what you're thinking. Uh, greed will fill you up. Uh, riches, I'm not. I'm not sure. But um, if that is what your guiding principle is, then where, where is that road leading us to? What examples have been really glaring to you that have made you kind of get to this conclusion? Because I mean, this this conclusion for you, or this almost thesis, right? Yeah, is coming out of. I'm sure you trying to wrap your head around any justification for the way people have been behaving lately. That's right. Um, I, I just learned of a shooting in my, in my hometown, near my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a murder and then suicide. And it seemed, not all of the information has come out, but what we know is that the last words of the victim of the murder was Black Lives Matter, and, the, and then followed by the shooter saying, all lives matter, shooting the man, going, locking himself in a room, and then shooting himself. <laughs> what? Is, what? Yeah. How does that, how have we gotten to this, Aaron? Like, how have we gotten to that? So it should be noted that this was a gentleman whose last name seems to infer that he could be of the Latinx community. Um, I, the notion I'm getting from what you sent me with this is that that actually had nothing to do with it. This was about the stance of someone standing up and saying that Black Lives Matter and then literally the, someone who disagreed and then killing this man for that reason. Right. Which, right. in a sense, it's like the Civil War. Right. Um, How do you have that much hate in your heart 
how I don't have an answer for that. But I mean, is is the question here hate? This is a conversation we've had in, in other episodes, and I was talking about this with Morgan in September. Hate is such an interesting emotion because it is next door to love because it requires a lot of energy. You have to have a mm. lot of energy, a lot of time. You have to feed it. You got to put coal in the fire. Yeah. You know, like we all dislike people and like I can dislike a person and in truth, they don't really occupy my thoughts unless I have mm-hmm. to come in contact with them because yeah. I don't hate them because I don't think about them. And frankly, the way I like to deal with it now is as I can start to attempt to be an adult is I'm like, I'm just going to remove myself from the situation yeah. and not allow that toxicity to sort of permeate my life. Cause it's really easy. You know what I mean? We work in an industry where, you know, envy and uh, jealousy and things like that can really be par for the course. If you don't have your head on, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's important as artists that, we have to understand that there's room for everyone. There really is. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, that's something I'm sure we'll fucking unpack this month. But yeah, yeah, so the hate thing, I think it's exactly right because that kind of crime is something that could only happen from someone who really fucking hates. And to bring it back, you know, I'm curious about what your thoughts are in terms of what self-love means that works as a tool against Mm-hmm. Letting yourself and your spirit get to that place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about let's talk about fear. Yes. Because it's the fear that opens the gates to the hate. Right? So why are we scared of somebody who say looks differently than we do? Mm-hmm. That is because we are being, and this is, leads back to the misinformation thing. Because mm-hmm. we are been we're being fed a narrative that is false that causes us to see each other as not connected, as different from each other. And so at a, at its extreme, that fear pushes us into the hate, which pushes us over the edge. I mean, not us, uh, you know, it's just it's it's a possibility that somebody who's unhinged can go down that path. Yeah, yeah? yes, yes, I completely agree. And when you talk about the narrative, are you referring to uh, kind of the American narrative? The American narrative. The American narrative. Yeah, because you know, it's, yeah. something, it's something that I've been just saying openly to be American is to be racist on a certain level because yeah. we are we are we are a country that has been built on genocide and racism and yeah. slavery and we have it's, all internalized it. We just we, have. We have all internalized it. And I think yeah. any being someone of color and someone who isn't perceived as white or mm-hmm. like, oh, like, you know, like, you know, like as a light skinned, like Mexican kid who, with, with indigenous roots in my family, in my family heritage, you know, it was an interesting thing to be perceived as exotic or like those yes. code words that are yes, acceptable. Exotic. If I could, if I had a dime for every time I was called exotic, I'd be which, which I would love to unpack with you because I, I actually feel like uh, aesthetically 
the way people have probably perceived you, I feel like you and I probably have a lot of identification with each other. I bet you're right. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, you're sort of like, ding, mirror, 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 mirror. Yeah, like, oh, but what are you? You're so interesting. You're so you're interesting so... looking. And then yeah. what's funny is it's almost like when people, when people unpack that shit, it's almost like they need to quantify what you are to figure out if they don't like you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got we've to be able to put you in, the bo- in a box. Yes. So that, yeah, so that we know what to do with you. Otherwise, it's like, does not compute, does not compute. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and everyone wants to sort of quantify. Or what's interesting with that is that then you tend to become, <laughs> you, you become the, the, I don't like the word use token because that seems odd to me, but you're almost like this little boutique gift to them that, oh, look at my, Ethnic friend. <laughs> yeah. Look, look at this. So exotic and cool. And look at the eyebrows. Wow. Look at how accessible they are in a very sort of like, they're clearly not from any Aryan nation. Yes. But right? listen to how they talk so listen, eloquently. They talk so nicely on a good day. You know, and, and all that shit is so horrifying because it's also that is the shit. And this is always what this, you know, this is what this podcast ends up always being about, people, because this is what we're doing. But, you know, it, that is the shit too, where you, you turn people of color according to internalized colorism, right? Mm-hmm. Against each other, you yeah. know? Because the truth of the matter, I've been talking about this a lot. Like, for example, I, I'll speak for the Latin community. You know, I always, I, I, and I've been reading books about it to know that I'm not out of my mind. You know, there is a thing with a lot of the, you know, Latin community that sort of has been pitted against. Now, I'm not saying as a, as a rule, but where there's like a, a from systemic oppression and and white supremacy pitting like the latin community against the black community right in an internalized insidious way Mm -hmm. because the truth of the matter is is that the people who are the they right the in charge people they knew that if we were to rise up together it's kind of an unstoppable force so let's kind of keep everyone sort of separated and make them feel like they're actually not in a lot of ways you know all in a similar situation in terms of the way they're perceived. And when you talk about who ends up in jail, it's all like Latin people and, 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 and the black community. Right. So, but yet ironically, people want to act like we're not together. And then in this situation too, what's, what's very heartbreaking about this Latin man standing up for black lives matter is that is the actual difference that people seem to not be understanding. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, racism can happen, but the people being killed it, are people in the black community mm-hmm. with no consequence. Right. And I, I, I don't even know where the fuck I'm going with this, but to bring it all back around to what you said, how much do you have to hate yourself to end up in that situation? But the, but the, but the, the dangerous thing is that this person in office has endorsed it. One hundred percent. Well, because that person clearly hates themselves, you know. Like, <laughs> oh my god! I mean, that's the I mean, revelation of the episode. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And you know what else I want to? I mean, I'm about to rant right now, but please, please, please. <laughs> what I'm also very, very sick and tired of is this perception that the president of the United States must be a business person because running the country is a business. Motherfuck that. Yes. Because what the presidency is, is it's a, you're a public servant. Yes. Should you 
Should you know about business? Should you be educated on what business is? Mm -hmm. Yes. You are in that position to serve the citizens of the United States, to serve and protect them, really, right? Yep. Yep. Commander Um, in chief for that shit. Exactly. So if anybody is is getting into that role for any other reason other than to serve, no, 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 no. Yeah, because it isn't because to to quantify it on a on a spreadsheet leads us to exactly where we're at. Because yeah. then there's no civic minded thoughts. I mean, look at all the actions that have happened. The second, the se- I feel like I'm a, a, a squeaky door with this, but what what became very clear to me because I'm sure some of you are listening for the first time because you love Rona and welcome. Please come back. Um, <laughs> so uh, we have her all month. In case you guys are just, oh, that just probably just hit a bunch of people. So hit subscribe, my friends. <laughs> hit subscribe. Or, hit subscribe. Also, when you asked me to do this in October, I never was thinking how crazy October, I mean, obviously, Oct- it was the October yeah. before the election, but it didn't hit me how insane it was, was going to be to be a guest on your show in October. Oh Continue, my God. Please. I mean, yeah. I mean, and then we're just scratching the surface. We're trying to break you in gently. We're trying to break you in gently. <laughs> so hit subscribe. But the, oh, fuck, what was I saying? Okay, okay, Sorry. No, 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 no. It's fine. This business. Is, this business. Yes. It was very obvious from the decisions they were making, like when they rolled back the environmental things and that's when mm-hmm. the Dakota Pipeline shit show started happening, yeah. right? And then like instantly demonized Mexican immigrants. I was like, Mm-mm. <laughs> no ma'am like it is like if no one is hello hello everyone good morning like immediately let's demonize someone let's turn into fucking old world berlin right what the fuck what the fuck yeah i mean and, and don't think that we middle eastern people didn't take our turn too we got we got banned exactly we got banned. fucking right <laughs> so we all like, taken a turn all connecting and like people are like oh okay and, you know, here the fuck we are. And then, you know, when this motherfucker did not denounce the endorsement of the KKK, that's when I, I don't understand. But see, you know, Morgan, to go back, guys, and actually, if you want to hear more of these dialogues, go back and listen to September, because Morgan and I unpacked this as well, that the real thing is we actually shouldn't, what needs to be addressed is why are people voting for someone like this? You know what I mean? And there's a lot of things that I've already talked about on this this podcast about it where I I also have to like go to those people with a sense of love because there are people like that in all of our lives who Mm -hmm. still think this person is, I don't don't really know what the fuck it is. I I love what you said about self-love and clearly this man does not love himself. Right. What do you feel like has been something that's been helping you analyze this to try to wrap your head around anyone in your life who I'm sure we're all affected by people who are voting in the other direction. How am I, how am I like handling knowing that there's people in my life that are voting against my own best, my best interest? Yeah. Like what has been the way that you've been trying to figure out how to like quantify that and in a way not hate them as we go back to hate? Yeah. Well, I personally don't have close ties to anybody who is voting to voting for 45. Uh, oh, that's, so I, that's a, that's, oh, that's a total a relief. It's a total blessing, you know? So yeah. in that sense, I, I feel super lucky, but I do have a young relative in Florida who said last week that, um, he wasn't going to vote because he didn't like either candidate. Mm. Um, 
I'm and cur- I'm that curious about shook your me thoughts. to my core. Okay. Yeah, that shook me to my core. I, um, I'm still debating if I should send him a message because we're not close, but I do think he, he loves and respects me and I love him. He's a, he's a, uh, a gen, I think, I think he's gen Z. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's that, uh, <laughs> I, I understand that, uh, that certain idealism at that age where yeah. you want everything to be perfect, you know, it's like, well, if they're not perfect, then why should I participate? So I'm trying to say, think if I should just like send an email and being like, Hey, this is why this is important to me. And just like maybe three points, like maybe the environment, yep. the children in cages at the border. Yep. Um, what's a palatable third one? For a Gen Zer? Yeah. Well, the fucking economy. I mean, that's, that's their life, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if he'll, if he'll I don't know. That. Yeah. When you're, when yeah. you're young, when you are young, he's young, he has a job. Things. You yeah. know, I, I, I'm curious what your, I, I've heard are, okay. I'm curious what your thoughts are about the ramifications of, in this particular election of not voting and like why that literally floored you i think it's that it is such a position of privilege and Mm. that if that is your stance you haven't considered anybody that is at risk anybody that has been belittled or demeaned by this uh um uh, administration whose Mm. rights have already been threatened by this administration um and so it's just, that's just privilege, straight up. You know, it, and it, the privilege of just being uh, in a democracy, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. I've heard quite compelling arguments in both sides. However, I've said this over and over again, I don't think now is the time to try to make an intellectual point Mm. When it's already going to be such a shit show with the with the uh, the way we're going to deal with the ballots being counted, right? It's already right. a shit show, right? This has been very evident, uh, and I think of all the times to like make an intellectual point. Now is not the time. Yeah. Now, now is not the time to make an intellectual point. And it's it's true, you know. It's to to not vote in the situation. I can understand how it is if one is has always felt oppressed and thinking that these people won't do shit for you. There, That's fair because this first act of actionable voting is just the first step in really what we have to start demanding. Right. If God willing, we move forward. Right. Um, I mean, which is, which is really what that is, is dismantling capitalism as it stands right now. Well, fixing, I mean, fixing it. I mean, look at, I mean, if there's anything that this time in history has proven to us is how fragile everything is how quickly our economic system can burn to the ground do you know what i mean well we were already on the precipice yes we were already on the precipice yes and how i mean and as an as an artist how actually this is a good thing to ask you because i mean this is the first time we're, we're chatting how have you been navigating this upheaval in your life with everything happening in terms of the way this has directly affected our lives 
I mean, I mean, you're creating that much. We know, like you seem you're creating, you're doing what you can do, but has it been something where actually, let me frame it a little more clearly when it all went down, I'm sure everyone took the moment, right. To basically, I'm just going to have a panic attack for two seconds and then I'm going to do it. Right. Did you immediately feel the need to stay active or did you allow Uh, processing? So when I, you know, when we quarantined, I lost all my work for the foreseeable future. Mm. Uh, you know, my career was, was taking off, Mm -hmm. uh, at that moment. And, uh, yeah, I grieved, I grieved for a couple of days and then weirdly, I felt this sense of uh, peace and calm Mm. that I hadn't felt in a really long time in that, oh, well now I don't actually have anything I need to do. Mm. I don't Mm -hmm. have, and Aaron, I must say, I was also in a position of privilege in that I just won two big awards that enabled me to have financial peace of mind. Because if I didn't, like mm. many, 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 many of my friends, mm-hmm. then that stress would have not allowed me to go to my creative place, for sure. So that was that was a privilege that I that I was lucky enough to have. Well, I mean, it's also, but that that privilege came out of, for what it's worth. I mean, that came out of you busting your ass. I did bust my ass. So there's that. Yeah, but the timing. <laughs> uh, the, let's just yeah. say the timing could not have been yes. better for me. I was so lucky at, at the timing of everything, um, and I just got it. That Harold Adamson Award was only happened like a month ago, so that mm. was an additional amount of money that right when I was getting to the point where I was like, oh gosh, I don't know, you know, six months from now, what am I going to do? And then it was like, boom, ASCAP called. <laughs> Just like, oh, what? Yes. So anyway, all that to say, I, I felt a sense of freedom in my creativity that I hadn't felt since I was a child. Mm. Mm. And I was able to start producing work that came from my little Muppet heart. Mm-hmm. And so I was writing, I wrote a love song to my sweatshirt. Mm. Um, I I was playing, you know, classical piano again, like I hadn't done since I was a child, because I grew to actually almost hate playing piano because it it was such a like a forced, you have to, you have to do this thing to music direct, you have to, and I didn't find joy in it anymore. Interesting. So I, I was able to kind of come back around and enjoy the instrument that I, you know, that I've been playing since I was four years old. Uh, and like I said, you know, I, I got cut from that UCLA undergrad program. So I have always had a little bit contentious relationship with the piano, but right. um, swinging back around to it felt really nice. And, that, and then slowly work actually started coming back. And I've already written a show for young theater for young audiences and yes. for Zoom. It's going to be produced next month. And I've got another one on the way. And oh, you know what? You, I don't think you know. No. Or maybe is that I'm the, the new interim program director of Berkeley NYC's um, writing and design for musical theater program. Holy shit. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. So this is a brand new program from, you know, the Berklee College of Music that's going to be based in New York at the legendary power station uh, where they produce all the uh, Broadway albums. Holy shit. And I'm creating it from the ground up. Wow. So that's now been a blessing that's come to me that I've been working on. Well, I mean, for what, you know, you you seem to really be someone who, the first thing you did on this show is you expressed your gratitude, which is amazing. And 
I can't help but feel as as I will continue to get to know you these three weeks, um, <laughs> that that seems to be something that is clearly working. You know, yeah. you are trying to keep, uh, dare I use this word, a positive forward motion uh, perpetuation of, actually, let's call it something what it really is, like the energy of love around you. Yes. You know, because mm-hmm. that like attracts like, right? Like right. attracts like. And I want to, I identify with what you said about you feel more creative now that you're actually getting back to that that part of you that was a kid, which to me, what that translates to is you tapped into that little part of you before fear set in, you know, yeah. and that yeah. part of you that didn't really doubt because you were just playing make-believe. Right. And I, I identified because I really had an awakening as an artist and I identified so much fear that was in my work and then identified wait, what, what am I doing? Right. And then very quickly, it's been amazing how I've reestablished myself with a community of like-minded people in in a fucking lockdown. Right. Wait, how was fear in in your work? What what do you mean by that? Well, in that sense, like, well, the fear, well, you know, it's like, I, well, for me, it was really thinking about like racial assimilation Mm. as an artist. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, in the theater, it's, you know, we're finding out literal facts that, you know, it wasn't actually in our head. The way everything looked is really real, right? Right. And, um, y- you know, the only way to, 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 you know, change things is awareness. So we'll see how this fucking goes. Right. But, you know, the fear of, oh, basically, like, who am I trying to make happy? And then what I had to identify is that who I was trying to make happy were white audiences. Uh, as opposed to trusting my own lived experience. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I and did. also not being afraid to create things that were actually really close to my heart in terms of subject matter. Because the truth is, the little religion, you know, we're all, we all create. And when you're a creator like us, you have your little religion, right? You've got your mm-hmm. little thing, you know what it is. I can even make fun of it, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Yeah. But that didn't change. The taste level didn't change. The way I like to go about things didn't change. The way I, my sensibilities haven't changed. But you the, lost your fucks to give. I lost my fucks to give. And I was like, yeah. let's just fucking go. Let's just yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. As it is already as a director, I'm not so interested in clarity. <laughs> I'm really not. It's one of my favorite quotes from Ivo von Hovey. One, he's just very, you know, that fire. I, I mean, I love him. But, you know, he's like, I'm not so interested in clarity. And I was like, I agree. I fucking agree, Evo. Yes. I was like, I'm not so interested in clarity. Like, don't get me wrong. I yes. love narrative. I like people to have empathy. But, like, I don't know how much I give a fuck about spoon feeding an audience. Yes. As much as, like, I want to give you an experience. And in a lot of ways, I, I, I need you to digest that. And if you hate it, that's cool. But the yeah. last thing I fucking want is someone to be like, I mean, yeah, it was, it was cute. That was fine. No, no, no. That's not okay. No, that's not, you know, there should that's be. That's not why we're doing what we're doing. No, no. and I, w- I would like to get into, so what, what do you think that has led you to in terms of this time to, there ha- okay, yes. I'm going into this. And, and actually, maybe we'll pick up on this after the break, but I like that you said you had this moment of peace. 
I mm-hmm. also realized when the shutdown happened, I was doing like the hundred hour work week, seven days a week. I was working like crazy. I was, you know, I too was like on the ding, 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 ding. Things are going yep. on the up. Yeah. And then it burns to the ground and you're like, I used to be someone <laughs> and people knew my name. And now I was, you know, like literally Just like, like, literally like a shadow of myself, like, like some old, like 1943 movie star <laughs> with like small circular glasses, Norma Desmond style, like looking at old, like, oh, this was the first time I was in this paper. Like, honestly, I, I, I like, I, I seriously was. I had to like reopen up paper that I papers I was in to be like, yes, I, <laughs> I had a career once. Oh there God. was a time, you know. I might as well have had a fucking monkey on my shoulder. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> eating fucking nuts, trying to figure out what to like. It was a disaster. Like I got oh real, God. really weird. But but I had a similar situation as you, where part of me was like, I mean, I'm kind of tired. Maybe I just yeah. want to go to bed. Yeah. Maybe not that I actually got depressed and sl- slept. I actually kind of got to work right away. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, I almost feel like the universe was like, yo, because the direction I was going in, even though shit was working, I was still creating work based out of fear. I don't think it would have been yeah. obvious to the audience, but I'm in a lot of ways, this, I think this has been a blessing. And has, is that how you feel about this pause? Okay, I have many feelings. No, actually, I, I actually I want to be clear. I, maybe let me think about that. When I say a blessing is spinning this so that it, it became something bearable. Correct. I correct. Okay. Two two points. Mm. Will I deliver them in the correct order? Who, that hey. remains to be seen. Hey. <laughs> okay. Number one. I feel like the much of the work I've done in the last six or seven years has primed me for this moment in that I got to music direct for Kirsten Child to Robella and American Tall Tale, mm. who is unabashedly herself and is not trying to placate to anyone. Interesting. She is fierce. She has always taught me to be the same. Um, and to tell my story. Um, and so what I've basically, she's been, I, I just adore her. I idolize her. So ha- getting to work with her, I've worked with her on multiple of her shows has been brilliant. And then of course, walking into a strange loop with Michael R. Jackson, mm. who again, unabashedly, unapologetically honest himself, not giving a fuck. Mm-hmm. Couple that with, Watching the many shows that were allowed to be on the stage by written by people of color, um, and many of them were doing that placating to the white audience thing. Yeah. So I had seen so many examples of that. Yes. And it was getting to the point where it was making me want to vomit. Yes. And so when I started creating Salam Medina Tales of a Hafgan, I knew I wasn't, uh, I don't even think I could placate to that audience if I tried. That's that's how secure I was with that this is going to be my story and I don't care if you get it or not, but I'm going to tell it as honestly and with as much nuance as possible. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. Okay, so that's my first point. My second point is that this whole notion of self-love, bringing that back, 
I think also lends itself to adaptability. Mm-hmm. So that when circumstances change dramatically the way they did for us, we were able to handle it mm-hmm. in a way that didn't destroy us. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to be depressed. Of course, you're going to have bad days. Of course, you're going to feel hopeless sometimes and you're going to cry mm-hmm. and it's going to be hard, but never to the extent that not even close am I going to be broken. Not even close can this break me. Amen. I think that's actually a great place for us to take our little break. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not, it's time. We take a little recalibration break, a meditation break. So my suggestion to you right now, as I'm a immersive theater director, is to put on your headphones if you don't have them on. Do it. Press pause. Sit somewhere. Plant your feet on the ground. And we're going to take a minute. We're going to breathe. And we'll be right back. Hi, this is Aaron, your host and producer of the show. So there's a lot happening right now in the world. And rather than take a moment to have a commercial, I thought it would be nice for us to take a moment and recalibrate. How does that sound? Excellent. Okay, so get comfortable, and we're going to take a deep breath in, and a deep breath out. Deep breath in, and just let it out. All right. Now close your eyes, and breathe. Normally. Perfect. I hope you feel a little better now. And just remember, you are perfect. And you are loved. Okay. Let's get back to the show.
We're back. Is everyone feeling cozy? You feel better yet? Brain, fuzzies. Hopefully you took a breath. It's like headspace. All right, so we're back with Rona Siddiqui, our October guest co-host. When did October happen? We started this in July. Uh, I'm so glad you're here, everyone. Friendly reminder, please hit that subscribe button. Shout out some love to your to your friend here who I'm sure you're listening to. Um, you know, and, and help, you know, let's help keep this conversation going. So Rona, you had mentioned obviously your journey into getting into Salam Medina, the tales of a Afghan, which is autobiographical. Yeah. Um, which brings me back to probably the way I feel like we both would identify with being exotic looking. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's a funny thing, right? To sort of have that aesthetic. And, but like, you know, if we were in the middle of uh, a bunch of non ethnic people uh, in, in some godforsaken state, people would definitely be like, who the fuck is that? So, anyway, <laughs> I might cut that. But um, the journey of leading there obviously was pre pandemic, right? Going into this show. Oh, yeah. What I'm curious about is you as an, as an artist of color, a woman that, Finding your voice in the musical theater to me seems like something that's challenging. And has it been an interesting journey leading up to where you are now to remain authentic to your voice? That is a really good question. And please, like, listen, everyone, we got three more episodes, so we'll unpack what we want right now. There's not everything has to happen. So... You know, going back to what I said in my in my uh, elevator pitch yes. about that, I I didn't really think anybody cared about my voice or what I had to say. I didn't believe in its validity uh, or its importance. So, getting to a place where that became not true anymore, where where I was able to understand that the that I had us uh, the skills to express myself in a way that others could um, relate to and that it was cathartic for them so that then it actually felt like service Mm. to me, that it wasn't about, you know, myself or my ego, then that was when I was able to step into it more. So when I was at NYU as a composer, like my class had the most ridiculous composers in it, like just beyond fierce, Mm. like so good. So what happens when you're in that bubble for two years is you start comparing yourself to those people. You start being influenced so much by those people. And, and so what winds up happening is it creates like an insular uh, sound. And I don't know if you've heard, and, and it happens. Like this, there's a kind of like an NYU sound that a lot of people talk about mm. uh, that comes out of that program. Anyway, it happened. It happened to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't regret it at all because it pushed me uh, to think compositionally in ways that I had not thought about. But when I got out of that program, it was like, okay, now you have all these new tools in your toolbox. You have more confidence in yourself and your voice. How do you put those together to regain control over your, over your own compositional style mm-hmm. um, and, and what you want to say to the world? Mm-hmm. And so that journey since I graduated in 2012 has been um, k- kind of a joy. It's like 
the the more authentic you you can that play that when you can create from that place of authenticity yes it is the most satisfying and i love what you said cuz i that's exactly how i i completely identify with you when you said of service mhm like being of service to the work yes is what you're implying Yes, exactly. And you know, it, 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 there's, I think it's an interesting thing to be on the outside of, of, of this artist's life, because I, I think that when we all actually hit that sweet spot, you do realize, why am I doing this? Right? Because mm-hmm. on, it's, seemingly, it could seem like you're doing it to satisfy yourself. But mm-hmm. then you realize, and there's a whole bunch of us with the same mindset, that, oh, I'm being of service to the work. Right. Which is, you know, right. there's people, this is all about the work. You know, like there's that joke about <laughs> it, you know, like, you know, you know, Maria Callas vibe, but it really is all about the work. And, and that's what makes the difference between, you know, you're, the difference between when you're on a project where everybody has that in mind. And then when there are those projects where the root of why it's been created is something else. Something and you feel else. that. Yes. You feel that. Yes, which is interesting, right? Because both mindsets can achieve success. Mm-hmm. So it's it's um. Well, the, 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 how are you? How do we are? Do we defining success? Are you defining uh, that as, ha, as, ha, as ha, a ha, ha, ha. there we go money or a, or there a Tony we award? Well, or? well, I think well, let's let's unpack this shit. Okay, so hmm. you know, Broadway's closed. Broadway is simply one facet of theater. We all know this, but it is our mythology. And it's sort of like, listen, if we all get there, everyone's going to be like, a word, great, awesome. Like, yeah, there's nothing, that, who's right. going to argue, right? right? But, you know, there's so much more than that. And I think it's interesting when you talk about success, because oftentimes people think of that as success, right? Right. When mm-hmm. there are plenty of downtown artists, and maybe I use that term loosely, but like, let's say non-Broadway artists who, to me, are success. Like they are, totally. they, they have achieved like this level of, of, of artistic accomplishment that I'm, I'm dumbfounded by. So right. I think when I say success, I mean, in the sense that, okay, let's, let's say it like this for us. You can chase something that has nothing to do with being of service and very much get producers and have your work get manifested. Sure. I'll say that. Especially if you're a white guy. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> If you're a white man, that is the name of the song. All right. So, um, you know, yeah, really, truly. Oh, man. Are we going to cut that? We're, no, no, we no we're not in. cutting that. No, we're not. I just, son of a bitch, that song is, I wake up to it some mornings. I'm like, oh. I was like, I didn't realize I had that on on my Spotify playlist. Shit. Um, yeah, and you know, this, you know, it was only you know, you know, the only way to you know make work is to actually make work, and so you know, I think in this next chapter that we're going to find out with, I think what's hopefully going to be the awakening of the theater industry is realizing that to uh, harness and foster the work of people who are having lived experiences is going to be very important for us to progress. Yeah. And your lived experience of coming from this place now where you have created an autobiographical comedy, which I find to be really telling of your of your sensibilities, um, mm-hmm. is the way you're looking at the next phase of this, has it changed since the first iteration that was prior to all the pandemic nonsense? 
I feel like I have a big rewrite coming up. I have I have to put the pen to the page. Because you wrote the book. Yes. Damn. Yeah, exactly. Damn is exactly right when yeah. it comes to the book because mm-hmm. the book is like my Achilles heel. <laughs> so all of what has been going on has been subconsciously coloring what I know this rewrite has to be because mm. I know that what the problem with my show has been up until now has been with my main character, Medina, AKA myself mm-hmm. <laughs> and the lesson that Medina must learn from the beginning of the show to the end of the show. Now, out of curiosity, what made you frame it as a comedy or did that, did you realize that that's what it became as it became? I have to write the funny. <laughs> I I'm not. I don't know. I am a Muppet, Aaron. I can't I, help it. I appreciate that shit. I, I appreciate that. It. I also study comedy. I love comedy. Like I love stand up. Yes. I love sketch comedy. I study it. Same. I love that it's used. It's an art form that's used as a tool to express pain yes. in, in such a way that can get through to anyone. Yes. And if you can't laugh at, at your pain, I mean, we need to, we need to, we have to, we yes. have to find humor. We have to find the light in it Yes, because we are creatures that need, we need hope. We need light. We need hope and light without question. So, right. And it's not saying we're not delving into really difficult topics. It's just the, the lens that we're using. Uh, so I, I, I can't help it. I, I wrote the, the first song I wrote is called S's and Sam. And it's all about the trials and tribulations of having a difficult to pronounce last name. And uh, so the, <laughs> so my mom, who is, you know, Long Island Italian, took on the name Siddiqui. And when I was a kid, I used to hear her on the phone and she would have to do this, this the spelling of the name. And it drove me crazy because she had a little bit of the New York accent. S is in Sam, I... D as in David, D as in David, I, Q, U, I. How many times I heard that? And I swore, I swore that I would never, ever do it when I became an adult. And then, so the song is basically like, and then you become an adult and you're on the phone and the person has no idea what you're trying to say and you find yourself having to do it and you become your mother and, you know, and then oh you spiral God. out of control. S as in Sam. Sam. I. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. And we'll, get, well, so, uh, so we, we're going to have time to really get into that too, as we keep talking in the next month, in this month, God damn it. Um, mm. I'm curious about when, so you got out of NYU and you learned all these things that are really good, all that pedagogy stuff, right? Yeah. What would you say was the moment when you realized like what your MO was in terms of musically finding your voice? I'm fascinated by that. And do you feel that that was directly influenced by both cultures that you have grown up in from both parents? I mean, truth be told, 
I grew up listening to the pop music on the pop radio. Yeah. That's my biggest influence Yeah, in, in my little Muppet heart. So I can't help that pop and groove is where I go. Um, but then I also have this like classical background. So that's, that's in there too. But I also, my ear is such that I can listen to, I can listen to some, I could listen to a style for a weekend and then I can, I can pastiche the heck out of it. Like I can just, I can do that. So when, when I had to start pulling from Middle Eastern music for my show, I used to, I'll, again, I'll be totally honest with you. I hated the music my dad listened to when I was a kid. When, whenever he drove us to school, it was like dad's I was weird, like, oh yeah. God, turn it off. That's another song in my show called Turn It Off, Dad. Because um, we just like, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't, I didn't like the nasal, the nasal voice. I, yes. I didn't know what they were saying. Yes. It was just horrible to my ear. Horrible. So now going back and like drawing on that for, for influence has been really fun. Um, Do you find it hits in a more sentimental place now? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I'm, you know, it's funny. You should, I, I, I definitely identify with that. Cause I remember like when they're, when, when, when like the classic, like folk, Mexican music would come through every now and then in my family. Um, you know, cause we were, we were pretty, you know, uh, very pop music too. Like, you know, and mm-hmm. like, and then actually classical music, but it's funny now certain songs come on or I find them like in my Spotify playlist from like just searching. And that mm-hmm. shit makes me cry now. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Cooking dinner and crying, listening to songs <laughs> from my youth, you know, yeah. as if like, you know, yeah. like I grew up in California, but you know, it's like all of a sudden, like some old school Spanish ballad comes on and I'm just like yeah. tears. Yeah, it's yeah, like this yeah. weird visceral thing where now it kind of feels like, like childhood. Right. Um, right. So yeah. you now switching around to that, how... You said you've really tapped into your. I love that you're saying Muppets because I was obsessed with the Muppets. The Muppets are actually what made me want to be become in the theater. I wanted to be a puppeteer, mm. and mm. then I remember Jim Henson died. It was the same week that Sammy Davis Jr. died. Um, if I'm correct, we'll fact check that and find out if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Um, and I remember thinking to myself at the ripe age of like eight, I'm like, what am I going to do? Yeah. What am I going to do? And then that's when I ended up in a play and the rest is history. And oh God, you know, and I decided to ruin my life. Um, anyway, <laughs> but um, uh, well, what was I going to say? So I love what you were saying about something of recent, though, has really allowed you to really tap into that m- beloved muppetiness of your, of your inner sanctum. Wh- mm-hmm. what, what, what does that entail exactly? Like, what does that mean? Like, in the mm-hmm. sense that there's been a shift in like what you've allowed yourself to write a song about. And as an example, like you said, you wrote a song to your sweater. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. My, um, I think, uh, I think, you know, when we, when we get caught up in the little New York city art scene rat race, mm-hmm. um, and everybody, not everybody, but people are, are taking themselves very seriously. And then you feel like you have to also be this very serious artist that is um, an in-your-face activist all the time that is, uh, you know, 20 posts a day about politics. And um, if you're not doing that, then you're not a good New York artist. Um, And 
so when I, when all those distractions were kind of uh, pulled away and, uh, and uh, I found that that was very, I found it very stressful, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so, so when that stress was removed, mm-hmm. I was just able to what, like, what, what is left? What is, who am I without that? <laughs> you know, yeah. who, and what was I, what you're, you know, when you talk about fear, I guess I, I was trying to prove something maybe, or I was trying to prove that I belong here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a big a way, part of it. Yeah. And yeah. And so in a sense, it allowed you to tap into your inner silliness. Yeah. Without any apology. Yeah. No apology. Oh my gosh. And, you know, speaking of my sweatshirt song, I, <laughs> New York Film Academy uh, asked me to, they're doing a whole, uh, for their students, uh, asked a bunch of writers to write songs about the quarantine or feelings or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was like, well, I could write you something new, but uh, I got this song about my sweatshirt. <laughs> and they're like, we love it. They, they're having like these amazing kids sing my sweatshirt. I can't believe that these two phenomenal singers from New York Film Academy are singing my dumb ass song about my sweatshirt love. And then my sweatshirt sings a song back, Aaron. The sweatshirt called- sings a song back. Hoodie's response. So I was going to write a love song back to me from my sweatshirt, but that's not what happened. When I started writing the song, my sweatshirt was pissed. I didn't mean for that to happen, but the sweatshirt was pissed. And so it's basically the sweatshirt listing grievances against me and um, not having my love. So these kids are performing this, these two songs, and I can't believe that that's actually a thing. That's is that going to be on YouTube? Are they going to film it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's All right, be you're going to have to send it's us funny. the link, and we're going to. I'll send you the link. I just like I listened to them rehearse it yesterday, and I was crying. I was laughing so hard because I never intended for actual real performers to ever sing these songs, and it's so that's funny. You know, there's something about this particular medium of like like being composers that I'm so fascinated by. So on, in my theater company, I have two resident composers that all my shows have an original score. And mm-hmm. the score is a character in the show. The music is huge, huge, huge component in the show. It's not like background. Yeah. It's not sort of like, you know, at like, you know, like 37%, like while the scene's happening, it's there to the point yeah. that I've been deeply criticized by the sound designs of my shows because they were like, it's so fucking loud. But mm. the experience, because they're like experiential experiences, it's an, it's an engulfed thing. And right. actors have been like, well, it's like part of the set. When in real life, back in the day, when we would audition people, <laughs> um, at the callback, I had the music. Yeah. So I'd play the music and then they'd start to read. But what I'm so fascinated with musicians, in particular in the musical theater, is how tactile it is that you just have you, your song, and and something a piano, and you can make something. Right. Like it's it's pretty amazing to me that that. And then all of a sudden, there it is. Now it's living. Now two people are singing it. Okay. Yeah. Great. You know, it's like the whole story of like the drowsy chaperone. How they like we made this as a wedding gift to be funny. Yeah. You know, and I, I find that to be really fascinating. Now, in terms of, I want to go back a little bit, and and if this is too, we'll figure it out. I noticed you use the word by witnessing work pre-shutdown, mm-hmm. like we even mm-hmm. have to say that. There were things that seemed to trigger you that you felt like they were placating. Yeah. Would I'd be curious if you want to feel comfortable unpacking that. Yes. Yes. 
Um, I want to do it without calling. No, out no, no. Any, oh, yeah. Actually, so I'm just oh, like, actually, let me say this yeah. to you, and I'll, we'll we'll cut this part. Uh, mm-hmm. This this show is not about receipts or like calling people yes. out. We well, oh, exactly. yeah. The whole point is that the subject is sort of like free, right. free gain. But yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a show that was based around a. Uh, like a middle, like a Manasa experience okay. that happened in this country. And, um, and if, for people who don't know, would you mind letting everyone know what Manasa? Manasa is a middle Eastern North African, South Asian. Copy that. Um, although mm. we are now debating whether that should be Swanasa because the term middle Eastern was, uh, as a colonial term. Mm. So replacing that with, uh, Southwest Asian, hmm. which is so weird to me uh, because, you know, I've spent my life identifying as Middle Eastern and now I'm being told I'm Southwest Asian, but that's a totally other That's subject. another subject. Well, this is a lot. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about all that stuff, but yes, please. Yeah. 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 I w- and I would like to hear your thoughts anyway. So, um, so this, this show got so, is the word maudlin is a word like, um, overly emotional like we have to tell you about this painful thing in any way so that we you can try to understand white audience like so that you know you'll under you'll you'll empathize with us and it it was it became saccharine to me to the point Mm. where they were actually like handing out food at the end um cultural food and it was um it just felt, it was just like, and please, please eat this so that you understand, you know, like. Oh, interesting. And. Uh, you know, the word I use is on the nose. On the nose. <laughs> the term. On the nose. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, uh, you know, and, and the heart was in the right place. Yeah. Of course. Always. You know, that's Always. the thing. Right. Um. But I just, I, that was, that solidified for me that that is definitely what I do not want to do. Well, there it is. Yeah. And so when I've, when I've had readings of my show and there's some moments where I have, um, words that are not English in the show, not many, but some. Yeah. And if people understand it, great. And if they don't, great. I don't really care, but I want to put it there. Yeah. You know, it's funny you should say that because I, <laughs> you're, you're probably going to, hopefully you'll see this next thing I'm working on. So for all my uh, silliness in life, um, all my work is very serious. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I don't, I just, I'm working through something. Um, it's very intense. Uh, it's very intense. And I'm aware of it. I'm aware of it. Like the joke with, with, with people I worked with initially uh, when I was started making stuff five years ago at the company was like, okay, so this is, we used to have a blocking joke that, I'm like, all right, so this is, we're going to do the carousel of death thing. Okay, everyone. All right, great. So we're doing, I, it was just like a term. <laughs> we were like, so we're doing the carousel. Oh, like the carousel of death thing we did in the last, I'm like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so carousel of death. And it was a very specific thing that had to do with this circle. And, um, you know, and and like, I used to basically, I'm like, how many people die in this? Okay, excellent. Let's do it. But, you know, it's, but, you know, but, but then, but to, okay, so fine. There's all that. But then 
the thing though that I I I'm of similar point of view as you is I I don't like like I said uh clarity okay I'm I'm kind of joking but I'm actually not I like allegory yeah and I like heightened circumstances mm-hmm. because then if something's super heightened which the music really helps me with this shit with text based stuff right sure. and you know my background is you know, I was a dancer and a choreographer, so that always plays a part of it. But um, the 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 music being heightened in a dramatic situation actually, I think, allows the audience to submit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? To yeah. this to this stuff that's happening that maybe isn't the most traditional linear narrative. But then I'm like, well, just absorb it, and you let me know, like, whatever the fuck's happening. Yeah. You know, and and I think that there is the issue when, I um, mean, not an issue, but something that seems to repel both of us. When I go to something and it's so on the fucking nose, I'm like, mm-hmm. could there be no mythology here? Is there no allegory? Yeah. Can we like also like it's theater? Mm-hmm. It's fucking theater, man. The thing yeah, I like about it's not the news. It's not the news. No, like yeah. you know, and now now with theater changing, where it isn't. I mean, it is. I mean, it is a theater anymore, right? Because now that we're moving into different mediums. I think we got to find new names. Yeah. You know, if something was never created for a proscenium, then it is actually the truth of the matter is, dare we say this word, we're creating art. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're actually in a, in a time now where we're creating art. Yeah. Art for the right. sake of it. And we're doing what we only know how to do as artists, which is I'm going to make this thing and um, I'm going to make it available here because that's where it can be available. Right. And so there it lives. And, you know, we're in an interesting place right now where the template is broken. It's gone, which I think is Mm -hmm. God's gift, to be honest with you, because it's going to force a lot of us people and a lot of people who are on the nose, which isn't to criticize, but, you know, maybe I feel like being on the nose is the easy way out. Yes. It's the easy way out because it doesn't tend to be very nuanced. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's, and it also, I don't ever like to commodify, um, grief in a literal way. Do you know what I mean? Like we're all grieving. Everyone's basically just trying to like, you know, grief is, is the basis of everything. And grief is the basis of comedy, you know, like comedy with, what is it? uh, Tragedy with time is comedy. That's the whole thing. Right. You know, that, that's what makes it so fucking funny. Like, do you know Kiki and Herb? Yes. yes. Uh-huh. So I was watching the Kiki and Herb. Oh my God, I'm obsessed. Justin Vivian Bond. Um, uh, the they haven't played on Joe's Pub right now. It's so fucking good on demand. Their last show they did, and there are such moments of that that are so like moving and touching. And it's a preposterous situation. It is so right. ridiculous. And I think right. that that's where as artists, it's really our gig to offer people heightened situations to mm-hmm. allow them to submit. Which can be done in yeah. both drama and can be done in comedy. Dare we go yes. back to the fucking masks? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if we right. go back to the traditions of theater of all cultures, it all started off pretty big and over the top. Right. And I wonder if like everyone had the same notion. If we sort of present this in this crazy, like super pageanty way, then this tale we're being told actually hits us a little harder because it isn't like, the, the you know what actually happens in the room because what it's happens not a lecture yeah because let's be real when real drama yeah. happens to us i don't mm-hmm. think most people behave well 
nor right, right. is is real life drama particularly articulate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> the most serious moments in my life have left me speechless, and I've had I was the worst. I couldn't articulate shit. Right. But then what we do as artists, right? Like what you're doing is we're we're digesting this shit, and then trying to figure out how do I make this shit palatable so we can mm-hmm. be of service to the audience and communicate. Exactly right. You know. Yeah. And I, that's where I'm really fascinated with you taking a tale about your fucking life mm-hmm. and making it comedy. Right. So like as as your taste level now as an artist, as a composer, are you finding that that using comedy as your medium has really been the thing that's made you able to find clarity in your voice? 100%. It's just to me the most direct way. Weirdly, it's the most direct way to me to, to communicate an experience. And I don't know. I don't think I have, to, I can ex- even expound on that. I think it's, that's just what it is. Well, yeah. But then not to say I know I don't write serious songs or that there aren't serious moments in my show because there are, of course, <laughs> you of course. know, I know you have to balance it Yeah, and I know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, for sure. I'm fascinated to see one, this show when the world is back and yeah. two, I'm really fascinated with you as a composer to watch like this progression of, especially right now, being someone who can offer also some fucking relief. Because for every, because, you know, yeah. I, I, I also, I, I admire that you're working on comedy because comedy is hard as fuck, like, to get it right. And yeah, would you say, though, that, like, that is directly affecting also the stylistic ways in which you're writing the genre of your, of your songs? Does a comedy song necessarily have to be a patter song or is it up tempo Mm -mm. or are Mm. there comedy ballads Mm. i mean of course Mm. we've seen it but to you what does that mean in terms of like the way that shakes down musically yeah 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 yeah. because you know i uh yeah is it that was to me driven always by character and and circumstance so um yeah i don't when i when i sat down to write um the the sweatshirt song it turned out it to be like a like a 90s boy band kind of vibe mm. because that's that's just what it turned out to be but not all of my songs sound like you know <laughs> sound like that so it, it very much changes regarding you know the character and the circumstance and let's circle back around to some self love mm. to me it seems that this next chapter of, of you Tapping into your inner Muppet, which I'm obsessed with, which we might mm-hmm. have to name this episode, my inner <laughs> Muppet. Would you say that 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 tapping into that inner 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 Muppet heart of yours, which I love that term so much, really has been a product of self love? One hundred percent. And that self love, that base for self love, comes from you know, having a loving family. Mm. So I am also very grateful to my very loving family. You know, otherwise uh it's a it's a much harder road. But uh so No ahead. no please, please, please. Yeah, I think um I, I th- I've just been watching a lot of YouTube videos about this lately for some reason. Um but uh the the gratitude and then probably that has to do with the gratitude mm-hmm. as as well. Um, is rooted in feeling um, secure and cared for when you're a, a child. Um, and so that's something you, you as a gift that you carry with you through life. So 
I'm very grateful for that. I'm obsessed with backstory. And so that feels like a really good place for us to... We did this first episode. Rona, <laughs> it happened. We did it. I know it's happening. You know, they, they, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's a journey. And then, to be honest with you, the thing that I really wanted to do with this podcast that has been so amazing is to, I didn't realize, honestly, until about three months in that I'm like, oh, I really wanted to find like-minded people and like form a community of like-minded people. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm, so that's what mm-hmm. I'm so excited about to have you here and and it was and thank you so much for joining us for October. So everyone if you're listening, Rona is here for three more episodes as we lead up to the election. Oh uh, this poor <laughs> poor artist. You're like I love comedy and I'm like please come in in the most critical time. In the history of the world. I'm ready. Right, let's do it. I mean, We're hey, let, and also, you know, let's fucking, let's approach this shit with some fucking humor. Cause I, I love that shit. Trust me. Like the, I, I got to filter it. Cause if it came out unfiltered, I think it'd probably offend some people. But ultimately mm-hmm. I'm so glad of all the people in the world to be here leading us into November. It's you. <laughs> um, this is going to be a gift. So everyone, we have three more episodes. We got a lot of shit to unpack here. Please listen, subscribe, rate. If you're not following us, we're on all the stuff that you'll hear right afterwards, all the social medias, it's 4FS podcast. Uh, it, it's all going to go down. So so jump in, get in the conversation. And um, uh, in the meantime, everyone, uh, be healthy, be actionable, and most importantly, be authentic. Much love. For Funk Sick Podcast is brought to you by Alvarez Chico Salazar Productions. Hosted and produced by Aaron Salazar. Original music by Manuel Paleo and Giancarlo Bonfanti. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at 4FS underscore podcast. And on Twitter and Facebook at 4FS podcast. Thanks so much. Much love.